Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am your host, Ben Myers. I'm here with my co-host, Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? Ben, we are great hosts of podcasts, but we are terrible technicians. And this recording from home is just, it's just not my thing. I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm not a fan. We are very bad at, uh, at the technical stuff, and uh, obviously with uh, going remote, we don't have our sound technician, uh, Mr. Ed, to uh, set, set things up, and uh, we tried Squadcast, and so that didn't work, so we're going to give them a big thumbs down uh, and uh, crash them on Twitter, and we're, we're back on Zoom. We've made uh, our guest wait for 45 minutes sure that uh, he is getting more and more angry even as we retell the story but but if anybody's out there and they're experienced that uh, online sound and video technicianing and they want to be uh, on the, the producer kind of like Mike Grinelli off of the uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast I feel like those guys they just log on and everything's, everything's set up for them we need, we need someone to be that for us and the mermaid, she's a good uh, editor, but I don't think she wants to be our sound technician. So yeah, we need uh, we need a, a Zoom expert, you know, to, to come on. So speaking of experts, in, <laughs> our sponsor is Nizo Studios, uh, the award-winning Nizo Studios. It's your premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural visualization and scale model needs. Nizo can also help market your project launch your sales center virtually or physically visit nizostudios.com and ask about live site their virtual sales center software it's a media darling taking the buildings industry sales process by storm well steve someone that knows a little bit about sales himself is our next guest so tell us a little bit about it next stuff yeah very exciting to have this gentleman on the show one of, from one of the premier developers in the GTA. Neil has over 23 years of experience in leading residential and mixed-use developments, working for private developers, provincial government, and private planning consultants in Canada and the United Kingdom. During this time, Neil has worked on delivering over 20 high-rise and mid-rise developments, including some 5,000 residential units together with over 500,000 square feet of commercial space. Prior to joining Greywood in 2015, Neil was Director of Development for the Daniels Corporation, where he worked on numerous landmark developments in Toronto. He was also previously a project manager at Ontario Realty Corporation and a planner at Walker Knott Dravikic Dravikic? in Toronto. (laughs) I knew you were going to not nail that name. Uh, Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, it is a pleasure to welcome Mr. Neil Patterson to the show. Thanks for joining us, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for lightening the, my mood this afternoon with your ineptitude with technology. <laughs> and we, I'm, pretty sure we, I'm pretty sure we screwed up your last name too, so. Patterson. Actually, it's funny. You got my last name right, Patterson, but um, you you botched Walker Not Dragicevic, uh, the planning consultant. It's, it's ironic because Bob Dragicevic um 
well-respected planner in this city. He he made sure that people knew how to spell his uh, pronounce his last name when you worked there. So so black black cross against uh, your name there, Steve, by Mr. Drakeese. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got Hudson right. Although there is a tendency, I think you probably thought I said Patterson. That's what you think I said, but I didn't say it, Ben. I know you're trying to find another strike against me today, but I'm not giving it to you. But I'll take I'll take I'll take the strike on. I mean, even if I practiced, I'm not even going to try and say it again. Even if I practiced that name, I still would have got it. No, right. just 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 move on, Steve. All right. So anyway, <laughs> how you doing today, Neil? Thank you uh, for joining. I'm well. Us. You're at I'm home. I'm well. Thanks for. Um, I am at home. Yeah. Yeah. I've been at. It feels like I've been at home. I I can't. I don't even know how long I've been at home. No, I just give up counting. Um, I had I had marks on my wall, like in a prison cell, uh, but I've run out of wall. So. Well, you, you should be like everyone yeah, else. And, what uh, happened was, was, was Justin Trudeau got a hold of your YouTube channel and he saw the marks in the background. He made you paint your wall white. He's the, the new censorship. He yeah, like, I, I, know, I know nothing about this censorship. So. Uh. <laughs> So, 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 so let's, let's, let's talk about the happier times when you didn't work at home. So give us, uh, we gave the cold notes version about your career. So, yeah. um, you know, let's, let's start us off. You're in a, you're, you're a, a small boy in the UK. You've got your socks pulled up to your knees. You're having a little bit of uh, tea and some, uh, and some cucumber sandwiches. At, at what yeah. point in time did you say, I'm going to need to come to Canada and build some high rise? Well, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting story, and, and I've I've been thinking about that. Actually, I did listen to your one of your first podcasts with Stuart Wilson, who uh, also grew up uh, in the United Kingdom, but in Scotland. And uh, I think his experiences were similar to mine. I grew up in the northeast of England, a place called Teesside, small industrial um, town, lots of chemical works, lots of heavy industry. It was pretty deprived area, um, and so. Uh, but I grew up there, and I, I think that's where I first kind of got my love of of planning and development. I actually, it's interesting. I'll tell this story. I, I grew up with a, a Lego town set on my bedroom floor, and I always had it there. And I had like the the Shell gas station and the post office and the burger stand, and I was always moving stuff around in the town. And the town was permanently on my bedroom floor. Uh, <laughs> my mum used to come with a vacuum cleaner and like well, suck up bits of it. The T sides are pretty, there's not not many job opportunities there unless you want to get into ah into um, heavy industry or chemical manufacturing. So I knew that uh, I had to I had to get out of town. So um, went to university to, dis- to study planning studies. Um, follow my dream of building cities and uh, making buildings and making the spaces between buildings exciting. Um, and then when I was at Sheffield, um, I got the opportunity to do an exchange to Ryerson. Um, so. Came over to Ryerson in 97, did an exchange, um, met some fantastic people uh, on, at the planning school, uh, and also met my future wife, um, <laughs> who came back to England with me. Um, I finished my planning degree, thought to myself after I'd stayed in Canada for six months, you know what, you Canadians, I got something going on there. It's, uh, it's a nice place to live. Um, I think it was a May 2-4 weekend, I went up to a cottage um, and I was lying on my back uh, at midnight, uh, staring up at the <laughs> the northern lights and the the, the stars. And I was like, "Yeah, I, I want some of this." Wow. So anyway, moved back to uh, moved back to England. Um, got my professional um, qualification in planning, and then um, always knew that I'd be moving back to Canada. Uh, my 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 girlfriend that I met in Canada had had become my wife at that point. So 
yeah, moved to uh, moved to Toronto. Big smoke. Nice. Um, nice. It's interesting because I'd worked in London for three years as a planning consultant, and um, my my commute to my office, like I passed the Houses of Parliament, Big Ben, all these famous landmarks, working in the city, working on these great projects. Um, and then I was moving to Toronto, which <laughs> in comparison was kind of this rural, sleepy backwater where you couldn't get anything to eat after nine o'clock at night uh, on, a, on a Sunday night. It was it was strange. And I, so prior to coming to Toronto, I, I, I was traveling around the world with my wife. Uh, we left England um, and we backpacked around the world for six months. Um, didn't want to finish work on the Friday in England and start working in Canada on the Monday. So we, we took some time. But I was in Singapore um, in 2001. And it was the day that the 2008 Olympic announcement was made. And if you recall, uh, Toronto was up against Beijing. And I, I knew I was coming to Toronto. And I knew I was coming to do planning and development work. And I was praying that Toronto would win the 2008 Olympic bid because it would just be this like this, this massive like infrastructure projects that I would be able to come into and start working on but um, as we all know history tells us that Beijing won the Olympics in 2008 and <laughs> it was like uh, okay well I guess I guess Toronto's okay hopefully hopefully there's some work for me to do when I get there. Okay anyways and um, obviously you haven't looked back um what is what has been your greatest memory I, and I, it's crazy when you say when you look back on on uh the last 20 years in toronto in particular and specifically the last 10 to 12 years and how much it's changed like condos yeah. you, you mentioned restaurants and we've talked about that on the show um mm -hmm. like nightclub like the whole nightclub and the king west scene and yeah, neighborhoods that have really established that like really you know, now now you know you can get a, a, an amazing meal any any night of the week anywhere. Yeah, so yeah. You must have you know you've watched it grow and expand. It's, it's it's probably from your perspective a little bit different than guys like me who grew up here. Um, but what what have you enjoyed the most about being part of that and and the evolution of the city? So my um, obviously being um, English, my entire family is is back in England and they'd come over every summer. So I, I say that because it's a barometer. So I used to drive out to the airport um, once or twice a year and go and pick my parents or my brother up <clears throat> and bring them back to my house. I live in the East End of Toronto. Um, but I, I drive through the downtown and the downtown used to be, in 2001, it was just the bank towers, essentially. It was a few of the towers. But every year, uh, there's more and more development happening, more and more condos going up and and that that stretch of the gardener between, I guess, the on-ramps um, uh, from Lakeshore East to kind of through to past Spadina, um, I found that a great barometer of how good, how, how well Toronto was doing because there'd be a new condo tower going up uh, every month. And then so you, you kind of stretch that out every year and there's like 12 new towers every year. And it's just, I, I've just seen this, this growth of of Toronto. It's all, been, it's all been led by immigration and I'm an immigrant to this country and um, I've had great success here, and I think um, that's what the country offers. It offers this great opportunity for immigrants, and, um, and and those people are paying back by by settling in Toronto. Toronto's a great lifestyle, um, and um, yeah, you can you can do all those things that 
maybe back in when when it's called Toronto the Good and 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 there was rules about everything. Uh, I think it's changed a lot since then. And now you can yeah you can get a decent meal past nine o'clock in a neighborhood. Um, <laughs> so let me ask you another quick question just to bring it back to you a little bit. So before you became uh, you know a developer and part of you know the the evolution of the city and and mm-hmm. putting up these towers, which you're doing quite a bit of now. Um, what was your what was your first role here, and what did you do as a planner, and and what were some of the first early projects you worked on? So, um, first job here was at Walking Up Dragicevic. Um, so, I was a planning consultant. I was a planning consultant in the UK, so the transition was relatively easy. Um, but worked there on um, a lot of subdivision work out in uh, the. East End, so Whitby, Ajax, Oshawa. Um, and then also, I was actually involved with um, Zellers, were a Canadian retailer. I don't think you're, you're not that young, you don't remember Zellers. Oh, I, 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 I remember Zellers, Byway, you know, some yeah. of these places, you know. We were talking about, giant, someone asked me this morning what Giant Tire was, and I was like, just basically picture Byway and Zellers merging into <laughs> one with like a little bit of Canadian Tire, maybe. It's true. true. So Zellers back then, this was 2001, were concerned about Walmart entering the market because Walmart weren't here uh, back in 2001. They were just starting to take their first foray into the Canadian market. And so um, they had these, uh, they were classed as big box wars. So um, I think Stone Road Mall in Guelph, um, if my memory's, yeah. Yeah, I'm from Guelph. I've I've been to that a few times. Yeah, so Zellers were there, and they were trying to keep Walmart out. And so my job was to basically prove how big and how bad and how nasty Walmart were, and we shouldn't allow them in because Zellers <laughs> wanted to sell you all the junk that you didn't need. They didn't need somebody else selling you all the junk you didn't need. Huh. That's funny. So so, so that it was interesting because um, I did a bit of commercial work. I, the, um, the residential work I was doing was subdivision, out, subdivision work out in um, – uh, the East End didn't really interest me, uh, but I met um, a gentleman through that process who was a development manager for a company called uh, Runnymede, big landowner out in the East End. Um, and I kind of didn't understand that that role existed as, as a development manager. Um, doesn't necessarily exist as such in the UK, um, <clears throat> but I liked what he was doing. Uh, he was directing consultants around, getting them to do everything he wanted to do. And I thought, you know what? I want some of that. So um, I then, I guess I was two years at Walking Up. Um, I had enough Canadian experience and decided I, I want to become a development manager. So that was my next jump over to um, the Goldman Group. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows Murray Goldman. He's a yeah. Murray character Goldman, in the industry. My father have been doing business together for the last 40 plus years, probably. And, yeah. and, and Murray's son, Gary, and grandson, mm-hmm. Johnny, are, are still very close uh, with our organization and good friends. And actually, Johnny was on, on the show. He was. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. <clears throat> yeah. So I was there. Um, 2003. I, I was there for the blackout, if anybody remembers the blackout. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's my defining moment to the Goldman Group. Um, um, learned a lot from Murray. Did um, Started to do my first uh, high rise. So we did um, Scarborough Town Center. I uh, did Equinox 1 and 2 and Equinox 3, 4, and 5. So Murray was a land developer. He didn't build himself. Um, so he had a partnership with Monarch at the time. And so we did these high-rise towers in um, in Scarborough Town Centre. So I think there's, there's five of them up now. So 
That was my first foray into high-rise. <laughs> Interesting, comparing times then to times now, I remember doing the public meeting for Equinox 3, 4, and 5, and it was 1,001 units in three towers in Scarborough Town Centre. And we were preparing for the public meetings. I was there. Russell Crooks was the planner out in Scarborough at the time. Um, and I had myself as a development manager and a team of consultants, traffic consultant, planning consultant, servicing consultant, ready for the public meeting for 1,001 units. One gentleman turned up <laughs> for the presentation. <laughs> so um, how times have changed? Because now, how many, people, you, how many people signed up when you guys were working on your stuff on uh, Eastern Avenue, or, or, or not Eastern? Uh, on, on East yeah, Eastern and Logan. Yeah, yeah, the Wonder Condos. Yeah, so um, that one, I think we had probably eighty people uh, in the public meeting for that one. Um, that one, the residents rallied um, with the local councillor. Um, and formed a working group. So that one was the, the public consultation, but then there was there was ongoing public consultation yeah. uh, with that group. But I mean, we'll get, to, always... get to that. We're jumping ahead. Okay. Let's keep going. I, I like the story yeah. where you're taking us. Yeah. So I mean, I'm at Golden Group, um, and then uh, working on some great projects. Um, I'm trying to remember, I did some subdivision work. Uh, but again, Murray wasn't a builder. Murray was just a developer. I also worked with Gary as well. He was a staff at Homes. Um, did some townhouse projects with him. Um, but at that point in my career, I guess I was five, six years in and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a graduate of a planning, I'm a planning professional, uh, by training. So I'd done my time as a consultant. I'd done a bit of work as a developer and I'm early in my career. And I'm just thinking, you know what, what else is out there? So I, I stick my toe in the, uh, the government sector. So work, so I jumped across to Ontario Realty Corporation. Um, good company. I quickly found out there are private sector people in the world and there are public sector people in the world. And, uh, I'm definitely a private sector person. So, uh, didn't stick, didn't stick around there for too long, but I mean, it, it gave me a good, um, breadth of experience. I, I, I covered the, the private side, the developer side, um, the consulting side and the government side. So then taking stock of my experience at that point, I decided, okay, I, I like the development stuff. I like, I like shaping buildings. I like shaping communities kind of goes back to my days building Lego towns in my bedroom floors. Like I don't like the building. I'm going to knock it down and build something else. Um, so yeah, so the opportunity came to work at, uh, at Daniels. So one of the, one of the biggest developers um, in Toronto. So a great opportunity for me to, to work there. So spent a long time, there, honed my skills there. What year was that when you would have moved over there? Uh, 2007, I moved there and I ended up doing nine years, uh, with Daniel's great company, learned a lot, great people, um, from the very top to the very bottom. Um, they're a the developer with a, uh, a social heart. They like to give back to the community. Um, and they were very encouraging. It, 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 it's, um, at least when I was there, it still felt like a small, uh, family company. They're a much bigger company now or a much bigger company when I left. Um, but yeah, had some good times. I got thrown in the deep end, did a lot of stuff at Bayview and Shepherd. Um, I guess everyone knows the, the arc condominiums, which looks like a ship at the intersection of Bayview and Shepherd. Yeah. Um, used to go to the YMCA at Bayview and Shepherd. That was where we grew up. Kind of still there. It's on the market if you want to buy it, Steve. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I remember when the condos all went up around there and I was obviously younger and, uh, I guess the one thing I want to ask you about that area is just, for me, it makes absolutely no sense that you've got a subway running through there and then all the buildings along Shepherd are six to eight stories. And I'm sure that you probably 
fought with those counselors and, uh, and, and I'm sure you, maybe you have a good story that you can tell, or maybe you can tell us why you think they're short and, and why they wouldn't allow any more density there. I probably can't tell you some of my stories of the battles with the counselors in this format. I, I don't think that's wise. Why we had you on. Yeah, come on, let's throw some people <laughs> under the bus. Is that Fillion? So, let's throw him under the bus. Well, so it wasn't actually, Fillion was the other side of uh, Bayview. So I think uh, Tridel did battles with Fillion. So he was um, he was west of, of uh, Bayview. So everything we had was east of Bayview. And so it was okay. Council of China. I will regret what I say. Uh, it was just, you know, it, it taught me a lot. It taught me how to deal with difficult people. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those, th so I worked on the, um, I came in halfway through the kind of the growth of the Bayview Shepherd area. I worked on the Bayview condominiums, NY Place, um, Claridge's retirement home, the, the Ark building, I think it was uh, NY2. And um, the four towers you see, the Rockefeller and the um, Waldorf Towers, sorry, the Waldorf and the Chrysler Towers, the, the four that are kind of the two pairs, they should have been 10 stories higher um, because the subway is right there. And the utilization of that subway is pitiful. It's still pitiful. You go up there pre-COVID and, and there's nobody on that subway um, because everybody drives everywhere, uh, which is such a shame because the infrastructure is there to get on the subway and get downtown in, in half an hour. So yeah, the, the, the corridor, the Shepherd corridor, I think it was, well, it is limited to six stories. Um, I don't know. It, it's just one of, the, it was kind of like, you know, we have the battles today with, about the yellow belt and um, everyone's everyone's living in their single detached house, um, butting up against an arterial road, but the, the single detached house is sacrosanct and you can't shadow it. Um, I think that's what happened back then in Willowdale. The Willowdale ratepayers didn't want too much development impacting them and the councillor just always sided uh, with the ratepayers. Uh, and so you never got you never got the development that should have happened up there. Um, there is some development starting to happen now. I know Quadriel are redeveloping them all. They've got bigger plans um, up there. But yeah, we were stuck to... <laughs> the irony is, so here's, here's what I'll tell you about the, the political interference up there. We always, Daniels always got staff on board with the developments. So we'd always have a positive staff report. Staff report. The councillor of the time would always uh, overturn the recommendation of staff uh, on the floor of council. And we would always appeal to the Ontario Municipal Board and we would always subpoena the city planner to give us to give evidence of the OMB for us. And the city would be forced to go and hire um, a planning consultant um, that's trying to defend council position, uh, but not professional staff's position. So we always won in the long run. Uh, we lost in terms of time, uh, but it, it was it's I don't know, sometimes the politicians have um different agendas and sometimes there's those are, aren't always the best for the big picture development of a city so i'm going to ask you a million dollar question how do we actually i'm going to wait to the later in the episode to ask it but i mean one of the fundamental things we always talk about on here is you know how, how do we fix this because you're absolutely right everything you just said it sounds like you're talking about planning today not planning when it, when was that 2007 eight, seven. yeah yeah, how do we fix it? Um, well, the, the ratepayers have such a loud voice, and the local, either the MPP or the local councillors, you know, their primary concern is the ratepayers, yeah. not 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 the future ratepayers or the future of the city. So, you know, there's there's this disconnect. I talk a lot. Of, I talked on the last episode or two episodes ago about the development at 
in summer on Summerhill, the LCBO at Young and Summerhill. Yeah. And uh, and the counselor there just absolutely being furious about having development. I'm like, it's it's a bad intersection to begin with. It could use a little life and some people and some yeah and some and some density. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not asking you to to opine on that per se, but maybe as we move on, you'll, uh, you'll give us a bit more. <laughs> so, 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 so you're, you're at Daniel's for nine years. You, uh, and, uh, what you start to get the itch maybe you want to get, uh, get a little more coin. Uh, what, uh, what, 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 uh, what made you go over to, uh, Greywood? Well, money, money always sweetens the pot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but realistically, it was just uh, it was the opportunity. So Greywood, um, I'd worked nine years at uh, Daniel's, and uh, it was a great company to work for. Um, I'd learned a lot, but I, I, I thought I could um, I could do more. Um, the structures in place at Daniel's um, didn't allow me to do that. There was people there that weren't moving. They were great people. I don't resent them for not moving, but there was better opportunity for me to move elsewhere. So um, the Greywood opportunity came up. Um, Greywood. Uh, was going through a transition at the time. So Greywood, 35-year-old um, uh, company, great track record. Um, um, they're a well-respected, well-known um, developer. They previously were a family-owned company. They still are a family-owned company, but um, the two uh, original founders, uh, Garnet Wachon and, and Moshi Tamari, um, got together in 1985. Um, it was an Irishman uh, a Jewish gentleman, so perfect development partnership. Um, and uh, and so Moshi Tamari passed, I think, 15 years ago before I joined. Um, and Garnet Watchon decided uh, with uh, uh, with Moshi's uh, relatives that they, they didn't want to be involved in the day to day anymore. So they brought a professional management a professional uh, management into the into the um, operation. So Stephen Price, our CFO came on board and started transitioning the company. Uh, we moved to a more, um, rather than just being um, a private company, uh, raising funds from the families and their friends, it became a, a company where we'd raise funds and we'd get institutional money. We'd go out and get pension fund money. We'd go out and get um, uh, insurance uh, fund, uh, insurance company money and create funds and give people a return. And so um, it was that transition. Greywood was historically a land developer Started to do some uh, high-rise condominiums, uh, but we went full. We went full in on the high-rise condominiums, and that was when I was kind of brought in. Um, we were looking at a lot of sites downtown. Um, obviously, I'd done a lot of high-rise sites um, for Daniel's downtown. I worked on Tiff Bell Lightbox, Cinema Tower, High Park condominiums. I worked on the waterfront condominiums where Daniel's head office is now located. Um, and so it was just an opportunity to get in um, on the ground floor of a company. You're the one who was responsible for uh, for demolishing that. What's it called? The nightclub. Um, everyone talks about. Cool house. Cool, cool house. house. Was you. So yeah. I have a story. I have a story, Steve. It was me. I have a story that. Uh, so um, I'm the least popular guy on the podcast after this story. Well, that's my job. I, I go around knocking down uh, pubs and nightclubs, and yeah, it's um, yeah my. <laughs> it's just it's it's part of the cost for a developer. So um, we uh, acquired that site um, from a private landowner. Uh, Murray Blankstein owned that property, um, and <clears throat> the nightclub. I'm not going to mention names. The nightclub uh, was a tenant, um, so it was the cool house. 
Um, and then it was also, there was a concert comfort venue in there as well. Comfort zone or something? There was, it's been many, it had been, it was RPM at one point, it had been many names. Um, anyway, so um, it's interesting because my sister-in-law is in the music industry and she's a, um, a production manager for concerts and live shows. And so she'd worked in that venue with the tenant. And so she had all sorts of stories of what happens really in, in that kind of, in that world. So anyway, we, we buy the property and then um, we, we go and meet the tenant. Um, and it's myself and Mitchell Cohen, who's the president of uh, Daniels. And um, we say, hi, we're your new um, landlord and uh, we're going to invoke this demolition clause uh, in your, uh, in your uh, lease. Um, he wasn't fully aware of all the terms around what he'd signed and what he hadn't signed with the previous <laughs> landlord. Um, he went on to sue the previous landlord and took it all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Uh, wow. But ultimately lost, and yeah, we evicted um, we evicted the the tenant, and we we closed an institution. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because my sister in law um, worked in there a lot, and so when we took the drill rigs in to knock it down, I was there, and I I took I took a photograph of the drill rig in the in the concert venue floor, and sent it to her, and she was quite happy because she had some some good times, but not some not so good times in that in that space. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about this about uh, historical, quote unquote, historical landmarks. Mm-hmm. We talked about you know Wayne Gretzky's Sneaky D's, Croc Rock, yeah. some great some great um, landmarks. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of these places they they run their course and they they were good at the time and they were great for yeah. what they were. But yeah. when I look at the city now and I look at the cool house or the location where the cool house was, I mean. It needed. It was time. Like it just, you know, the evolution and the growth. It, it, it you guys, it was the right time, and you know, this, this is how nature works. Yeah. So you used the right word there as well. Um, evolve. Like if cities don't evolve, they decline. Um, yeah. So I'm always about um, evolving spaces. Um, I I was there when that building started construction, the Daniel's Waterfront um, um, developments. If you get a chance, and if you've been, go down. There's a space between the two buildings, the north and the south, and it's called the yard. And it's populated by um, retail stores. There's a brew pub in there. There's a couple of fast food outlets. Uh, and there's a future, um, uh, it's the University of, the French University of Ontario is going in there. But we created the space between the two buildings. It's this urban yard. And the towers from a distance, uh, meh, whatever, there's towers. But we get into that fine grain on, on the street. It's, it's a great place. It actually worked out very well. And when we come back to life and we have students in there and we have people drinking out in front of the brew pub, it, it's going to be a really nice place um, to hang out on the waterfront. So, yeah, I have no, I have no regrets about evolving cities. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, people get mad about sneaky D's cause they had good nachos there 15 years ago. I'm like, when was the last time you actually went there? Right. Like you get mad exactly. that Honest Ed's is being torn down. I'm like, when was the last time you actually went there and bought something? Right. It's like, it's like a cre- it was like a creepy Walmart. I mean, really, what it was. So, I mean, we want blinking lights. We can get we can put blinking lights on another building. How's that? How's that exactly. Sound? So, yeah. And anyway, so so what what was the what were the first buildings you started working at on at uh, at Greywood? <laughs> so so Greywood's a family, and the reason I'm laughing, Greywood's a family company, and uh, they they have their own they have some of their own assets. I was brought in to um, uh, help salvage 250 lawrence which is a building that was kind of struggling through a planning process with the city of toronto ultimately we ended up going to um 
uh, LPAT well, was OMB when we went, LPAT when we finished. Um, and so I worked on that, but I, 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 I'm going to come back to a, a Canadian English kind of connection here. Um, so I moved from, I moved from uh, the UK, as you know, I got my citizenship in 2008, but I moved to Greywood in 2015. And the first thing I do, the first uh, appointment I have is out in Whitby. So Greywood own a plaza uh, and on Garden Street in Whitby. Uh, and they're trying to get a, they're doing a facade renovation and they're trying to build the Tim Hortons in, in, the, in the parking lot. And so here I am with all my expertise coming from Daniels, uh, building high rise condos. And they say, can you, can you just on the side, can you just get this, this Tim Hortons approved? So I was like, ah, whatever. <laughs> so I got it approved. It was a long hassle, but we got it approved. Um, but it, I think that makes me very, like probably makes me more Canadian than most Canadians. I'm a Canadian citizen and I built a Tim Hortons by myself. <laughs> it was a very proud moment. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you should get a super citizenship, right? You know, <laughs> double, double citizenship. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, a double, I mean, double, a double, double citizenship. I like that. That's good. Nice. So yeah, I, I um, worked on, um, I was brought in to work on um, 250 Lawrence, uh, which is a building we actually just put in the ground uh, last month. We just got our shoring permit. We're under construction there. And then they were looking at another site um, um, in um, in Lazivon, where I live, um, the old Western Bread Factory. So that, that that turned into Wonder Condominiums, which was a 250,000 square foot industrial bakery facility that uh, kind of dated back to the 1920s. So that was kind of my first full um, project that I, that I'd been involved with the Greywood. So that, that was a, that was a lot of fun, um, working on that project, complex approval, uh, but it's under construction now. So yeah. on, that, on that project, how's it been, um, your partners with Altera there, right? Yeah. So how did that come to be and how's that partnership working out? Working so with, you mentioned to bring it back to him. Yeah. So there was a, there's a long relationship between the Cooper family, uh, and the watch on, um, and the, uh, Tamari family. So um, uh, Sid Cooper, the patriarch of, 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 of the Cooper family, uh, was good friends with uh, Garnet Watchon, and so they, they were part of the original investors in Greywood. Um, <clears throat> and then we it came this site came onto our laps, um, and at the time we weren't uh, self-performing construction, um, but Altera obviously were. So we uh, we offered them a partnership where they would act as the construction manager and we would act as the development manager. Um, and so that's, that's the relationship we have today. Um, Greywood, um, myself and the team took it through the approval process, uh, took it through the sales process and um, Altera, great partners are um, currently building it. So I think they're on the fifth or sixth floor of an eight story um, condo. And, and I think it's been a, a great success. And, and I think both, parties are extremely happy with it. The one thing I did want, I thought was an interesting uh, thought was um, was Peter and Adelaide. When you, you guys launched that and, and, and literally like six months after that, prices in the entertainment district went up like 30, 35%. <laughs> and I'm wondering if that if that's something that you, go, you guys go back and, and kick yourself about, or do you just say, hey, you know, it was successful sales, It'll be a successful project for us. It's meeting our pro forma, or is that something that you, you you guys really you know think about after the fact? Of course, you think about it. Um, it's not lost on us that the prices did go up um, after the fact, but nobody had a crystal ball in advance. We could have um, 
I mean, we let, let's not let's not kid ourselves. We did we do okay. Uh, what's the saying? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. So yeah, we're we're doing okay on that one. We're not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we were to do it again, yeah, we'd we'd do it differently. But we're not complaining. You, you, I mean, you can't. So I mean, just as we saw the thirty five percent increase um, um, in uh, the general market, I mean, we picked up on that in other projects as well. So um, timing's everything. That one, yeah, we we could have um, we could have done things slightly differently with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, our uh, our previous guest uh, uh, Naram, he just sold his site beside you guys. So it'll be interesting to see if that finally uh, gets going. Yeah, so there's a lot of um, there's still a lot of traction. It's interesting because when I was at Daniel's, um, I did Tiff Bell Lightbox and Cinema Tower. So Tiff Bell Lightbox was kind of one of the initial projects um, in the entertainment district. Um, and so I know at one point uh, in mid 2000s, Daniel's kind of decided not to keep on going with the entertainment district because we didn't think there was any longevity in it. But here we are, <laughs> however many years later. The sites keep on going up and the price per square foot keeps on getting higher and higher and higher. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, it's, yeah. it's, hard, it's hard, hard to fathom. It's hard to fathom. Steve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I just wanted to, to kind of continue on as, as we talk about different projects that Greywood's involved in, and in particular, I assume you've been involved with, particularly through um, COVID and, and mm-hmm. what it shows, you know, when I look at your acquisition at Church in Dundas, um, yep. it was a $73 million acquisition, then your Jack Condos, um also in the same neighborhood obviously you guys believe in downtowns you believe in the resurgence of uh, you know normality and in, in the urban life um mm-hmm. but talk to us a little about uh you know being active in uh, the service and church corridors and and sort of what the plan is and and why you are so bullish on those areas yeah i mean um so jack condos um was hit by covid so jack condos we were looking to launch in uh, May of 20, let's get my years right, 2020, my years are skewed because of COVID. So we're looking to launch in May of 2020 and we were we were pushing hard to get our sales center um, up and running. Um, and then uh, it was ready to go. The scale model was in, all the features and finishes were in, the vignette was in the, the sales office. Um, and then COVID hit. So everything shut down. Um, and we very quickly learned to how to, to sell uh, sell suites virtually, um, so so we built this this uh, this sales office on the site, and we never ended up using it. I mean, it cost a, ch- a fair chunk of change, and it became this glorified admin office where our sales reps were in there, socially distanced with masks on their computers, working with the agents. But it never actually got. We didn't have the grand opening. We didn't have the grand event um, on the um, on the sales office. So that one, we actually delayed the launch. We actually launched in August. Um, and, uh, we did very well. Uh, we got hit, we got hit hard by COVID, a bit of a delay, but, um, I, I will come back to the fact that downtown East, that, that project, um, it's also another kind of full circle story for me. Um, when I came to Canada and studied at Ryerson, I was living in Neil Weizak, which is the, uh, the student co-op there next to, um, next to the Harvey's at, uh, Gerard and you, you well, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to say that Ben. <laughs> but everyone knows what it is. Um, and so I was living there and uh, I think there was a Rogers video store in the, in the base of the, um, the hotel. It's the South is the Ramada hotel that I used to go to when I, when I lived at, um, at Neil Weizak's and, and this site that we bought in partnership with Phantom Developments 
I was right there. So it's kind of like it was a coming home story for me. It was like I got to develop this, uh, I got to develop this site uh, right around the corner from where I first landed um, in in Toronto. And so yeah, we we I believe in downtowns. I'm a firm believer. I'm an urbanist. Um, I firmly believe downtowns. I think everyone that lives downtown can do away with a car. Everyone can ride a bicycle. Um, everyone can have a much nicer life um, in an urban environment. Um, and everyone, it's much more environmentally sustainable to live in downtown. And with um, with the Ryerson um, University right there and uh, international immigration coming, I think there's there's a lot to be said for uh, living downtown, living downtown east. Downtown east is kind of untapped. Downtown west has had this big surge, King West, and downtown east got left behind. But downtown east is closer than the new stuff that's coming on King Street West. Um, it's within walking distance of uh, Young Dundas Square. You could live in Jack Condos uh, and work in the financial district very easily. Um, and so um, I think when we get back to normal times, I think the... the um, uh, the, the population are, are going to remember very quickly how tired they were of commuting. Everyone's going to come back on stream. A lot more people have moved out of the city, but the highways, the 401, the 404, the 400, the go trains, they're going to be busier than they were before. And so I think you're going to see this massive resurgence of downtown living again. Um, so yeah, we, we firmly believe in it. Um, it's got a lot going for it. And uh, yeah, we've doubled down in that corridor. I don't know if you, how much you're online, but the the marketing for Jack just got destroyed by people in the city of Toronto, and I'm just I'm curious if that's something that they they ask you about. And, and I mean, I didn't think there was really that much wrong with it. I thought it was interesting marketing, not much different than any. But was that something that caught you off guard that you just got so much blowback from these uh, these you know the real Torontonians, I guess. Yeah, that was a, it's an interesting story because um, I got, I'm in those meetings when we're meeting the the the, the marketing agency that uh, um, coming up with the concepts and we pick the concepts. I'm not. I mean, I like planning and development, uh, the sales and marketing. I um, I have opinions. They're not always welcomed, um, but um, I, I was okay with it. It was fine. Uh, but I, I just find it amusing. So I, th- what you're referencing is BlogTO picked up the fact that we had this. We were trying to be, we were trying to be too Toronto. We had kind of graffiti style writing, and it was talking about. Um, I think we made reference to trash pandas and and um, <laughs> what, what Toronto's typically like. And we got slammed on BlogTO. <laughs> and and so we took it as an opportunity. We're working with our uh, PR company, and they said you've got to turn this 180. And turn it back and say, okay, we're gonna have fun with this. So we we had our billboard up, it got lots of negative attention. And so we took all the comments from BlogTO and we changed the text on the big billboard we had on the site. And so we I think a couple of the things were I think we put back up there, Toronto's cringing. Um, I think my favorite was an ad campaign made by 45-year-olds. Um, because ironic, because I fit that demographic, but the 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 creative uh, team from the agency that came up with it, they're in their mid-20s. So they're they're more in tune than I am. And they chose to go with the the, the taglines that would be uh, and, and a condo brought to you by 45-year-olds. Anyway, we had some fun with that. Um, no publicity is bad publicity. Uh, we got some more mileage out of it. So, um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, it's, yeah, you got you to laugh at yourself. You can't laugh at yourself and there's something wrong. I'm glad you asked that, Ben, because I was thinking it. And I, it's funny, one of my 
buddies who's not in the industry at all and just a Toronto guy. I remember he sent me this. He's like, really? He just sent me really question mark. And I remember looking at it too and be like, I don't know. It's, just, it's condo advertising. Yeah. It's, it's kind of different. It's neat, but it's interesting. It's like when your taxi driver gives you stock advice, you kind of start, yeah. you know, wondering what's going on anyway <laughs> it's it's better than young and rich i guess i mean that's the one that gets the most attention on uh on social media so yeah which to me the fact i so i get the connotation but the, it wasn't on young street that's the that just blows my mind <laughs> yeah so you it's young that, and victoria it should have some frontage on young street you know yeah. to uh, to make it work so <laughs> well, well, no. uh, were you around for the ritz carlton development or was that before your time I, uh, that was before my time um uh, but i mean it's an interesting story it was definitely before my time uh like graywood is always like we've historically when it was a family company and even uh when we went to a professionally managed company it's always had this like it's kept a low profile uh but we've Great. always punched we've always punched we've always punched above our weight yeah uh, and so that one was a partnership with cadillac fairview and marriott to so um, so we we developed and we built the, the Ritz Carlton and um, yeah it was um, I think I think at the time we sold our interest to it it was the highest uh, highest grossing hotel in Canada uh, by room yeah so yeah huge success for for Greywood and, and our investors. It's interesting That's you see you guys are people the profile and you punch above your weight because you know when I when I first started in the business I I kind of viewed Greywood more of you know an asset manager or, or somewhere where, you know, more of a money raising group that put money with other developers. So you were, you had the uh, investment management side and mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the JV partnership is where you place the capital. But it really seems that uh, I'd say in the last five years, more, more than ever sort of taking the lead and, and being more prominent and for, and customer, I guess, forward facing or. You know. Yeah. So, so we're trying to change that. We're in growth mode where we're looking to, um, double the size of the company in the next five years. Uh, but part of that is um, we're now constructing, we're self-performing. And so I mentioned Jack Condos, uh, which is going, um, which is in the ground now. Uh, sorry, I mentioned 250, which is in the ground now. Jack Condos, um, we're trying to get a shoring permit for that next month. And, and those two will represent our third and fourth uh, building under construction under our own forces um, that, that, that we have on our books. So we've got uh, Scout Condos, Sinclair West. Um, we have Peter and Adelaide in the entertainment district. We have um, 250 Lawrence at Lawrence and Avenue. And we'll have Jack Condos all under construction um, um, by our own forces. And so um, it gives us more um, control um, over the projects. Uh, we historically, you're right, we historically had partnerships with uh, Beaver Hall Homes, Tiffany Park Homes, Falcon Crest, where we would uh, develop the land and they would build and, and even, even the Altera partnership. Uh, but we've moved, uh, we've brought the construction expertise in-house um, and we've expanded our construction team. So so we're, we're trying to elevate our presence both with our customers at both ends. So our customers are the investors, but our customers are also the, the, the home buyers as well. So we're, we're elevating our um, our presence in the market. I guess one of the reasons why I always thought you were in a different class or, or you know, just thought different was, uh, and, it, and, the, and there's a major shift in this space now, but you know, you had the Bay street address, you had the high rise tower, uh, look and feel. I went to your yeah. office and was wearing a suit and tie. Remember the first time I went to go meet Stephen price, you know, it was a very institutional meeting. Whereas, you know, a lot of the developers for the longest time were up on highway seven in a, 
in a sort of small one-story office and in the typical developer uniform is jeans and a, and a t-shirt and a blazer, maybe if you're lucky. Yeah. So you know, just different, different attitude, different feel. And sort of the same thing with us, you know, we're very, you know, we try, we're small, you know, I guess in, in theory, a small company, um, but, you know, try to walk and talk like the guys on Bay street a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, the, the location of the office is intentional. Um, we are a fund company. Um, and so we have to have the relationships with the high net worth individuals, the pension funds, the insurance companies, um, we have to have the relationships with the banks um, on construction financing, land loans, uh, MES loans. And so um, we are st- strategically located uh, downtown. Um, we did last year, uh, pre-COVID, drop the, the tie in the office rule. But if you come into our office, everyone's still wearing a suit. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what COVID does to all of that. Everyone's been wearing um, been wearing like T-shirts and sweatpants for... 14, 15 months. And so yeah. how, how quickly are people going to go back to... So I have a wardrobe full of suits and ties. Um, I don't think I'll ever, I'm ever going to wear a tie again, but it's going to be interesting. Who knows? I don't know. I've heard, I feel there's... there's there, I could, I'm of both worlds. You know, part of it is it's more efficient and easier and faster and comfortable to not wear the suit and tie. But I think at some point, people are, are really going to miss getting dressed up. You're going to go downtown. I, I, I personally... Some days I put a suit and tie on and, and it just, you know, you kind of like the look good, feel good, do good kind of mentality. And I, I believe in that. And I, I think people are going to be sick of sick and tired of wearing the same like four golf shirts the last 16 months and want to put, you know, I know Ben's going to be in a decked out in his pocket squares and colorful socks in no time. The problem is none of my suits fit anymore. <laughs> Some people have done the COVID exercise thing. I've done the COVID chocolate thing. So that's uh, unfortunately, I, I, you know, my tailor likes it because uh, he's going to have to make me some new suits. But yeah, definitely going to get back into to, uh, to to wearing suits. No, no, uh, I can't do the jogging pants thing. That that uh, that that doesn't work. I, I still try to wear a collared shirt, even though I, you know. I'm the only person that's ever in my own office. So, <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, I mean, the world is, the world is shifting. I guess maybe that that's a good segue into, uh, you know, the planning and design of, uh, of buildings. Are you, uh, you know, what, what are you guys talking about internally? Are you building, are you going to do workspaces? Are you going to do quiet rooms? Are you going to do, you know, you've got anything fun planned to, uh, from the, uh, to, to kind of cater to the work from home uh, person. As part of the Jack Condos um, outreach, so whenever we whenever we're looking to acquire a property, uh, we'll go into the neighborhoods. We'll we'll find um, um, the local people, what, what people are doing. So we went to Jack Condos, and obviously Ryerson is on our doorstep. And so we took our interior designers, um, and we had a design chat with uh, the students of the architecture program at uh, Ryerson, and we we kind of took them our amenity spaces. Um, I don't know if you know Jack Condos, but our amenity space is actually in the heritage building that was on the site. Um, so we took them the floor plans of the amenity spaces and we have some rooftop uh, amenity spaces there. And we said, okay, um, here's our kind of blank page of amenities. What would you want to see in here as, as students? If you lived in this condo, what would you want to see? Uh, and we, we got the usual suspects of like, I want a party room and, and everything. But interestingly, what came back that surprised us was, um, people want um, um, quiet spaces, contemplation spaces, uh, places they can go and switch off because they live downtown. 
Uh, it's a busy urban environment. Um, and so they want a refuge from that crazy busyness where they can go and switch off. And so um, it, it actually took us by surprise. We didn't expect that. I mean, we have co-working spaces um, in our amenities, um, kind of like the cafe style um, seats with uh, USB ports and power plugs everywhere so you can plug your, your device in. But it was this contemplation space that took us by surprise. So we, we've programmed in um, quiet space, uh, contemplation space. Um, there's actually a prayer room in, um, in Jack condominiums. And so it was. It was um, just one of the things that we went out and asked people what they wanted, and and sometimes that's that's a great thing to do because people do get set in their ways, and people don't always want programmed spaces. They they like a space that's um, quiet, and they can just sit and read a book and not be disturbed by people or just meditate. Um, yeah, I can I I imagine. Too. Obviously, with so many people living with roommates, uh, that you just want to escape and not have to listen to their. <laughs> <laughs> them and, and and have uh you know have some amenities that they can you know you can mm-hmm. use in your 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 own building so that's uh that, you know that's that's fascinating but uh, i did i did do a little research on you before we uh we put you on the show and i understand that you're a big electric bike guy so i want to ask is that <laughs> is is that a fad is are you are you, or is this is this a trend are people going to be zooming around on these things through the streets of toronto so coming back to my urbanist roots again, um, I was sat at a, it was a Global Mail conference at the Global Mail Center. Um, and it was called the, the, the Future of Mobility. Um, and so I'm sat in the audience and this kind of stuff interests me. Um, and the whole concept is mobility as a service. So you have Uber on your phone, but there's this app called Wim. Um, and Wim is this app where it, you tell it where you are. Well, it knows where you are, obviously, because they're all watching you. Uh, but it tell, you, you tell it where you want to go. And it decides for you um, what's the quickest and easiest way to get there. So it's call an Uber, walk it, get a bike, or rent a car. And in, in the app, it has all these connections. So if, if, if it's rent a car, it'll, it'll put you through to enterprise. If it's, if it's get an Uber, obviously Uber will come. If it's um, get a GoTrain, the GoTrain app is connected to it. And I think they have bike share on there as well. So I'm in, I'm in this conference. Um, um, it's kind of like mo- the future of mobility is kind of like the Wild West at the moment. You've got all these competing apps uh, and companies and you've got like the, the e-scooters. I think it's Lime. Um, you've got bike share. But the one thing that all the experts agree on is the last kilometer of the trip, the first and the last kilometer, where is the most efficient on bicycles and electric bicycles? Uh, and here I am. I live in Leslieville. I'm five kilometers away from my office at King and University. Um, and I spend mm, 45 minutes to an hour getting home every night. I'm looking out my office window. I look down Simcoe. I don't know if anybody commutes down lower Simcoe, but it's terrible getting onto the on the gardener. Um, and so I decide, you know what? I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to ride my bike to work. So I set off set out on this adventure to to figure out how to bike commute and turn up to work in a suit every day with a fresh press shirt and a tie but getting there on a bike and so um i go out i buy an electric bike um i I figure that out and then i go on lots of websites about bike commuting so it's huge in scandinavia denmark copenhagen um everyone bikes I'm, i'm researching all this information anyway i now bike to work uh and it takes me uh 16 minutes to get to work wow. and 
I love it because it, it gives me the break between home and work, but I'm outside. I'm not trapped in a ton of steel uh, where I just get angry at the car in front of me. When I'm driving, I'm moving forward in six foot increments all the way to home. But on the bike, you're out, you're free. It's kind of liberating. You can. I, I ride home down um, uh, East Bayfront, right by the water. Um, and it's great. I get I get home and I'm in a much better mood. I get to the office in the morning and I, I say hello to the receptionist that I just like grunted at previously because I've been stuck in a car for 45 minutes. And and I figured out how to put a suit on. I I, I put a, have a pannier bag that has a, a suit case a suit rack in it, and I get to work and I look like I just arrived in a car. It's fantastic. And I'm, so yeah, I, I I'm a big big believer in um, in bikes and downtown. And so. Our next project, 241 Church Street, I am pushing hard to reduce the uh, parking ratios. I'm pushing hard to make bikes front and center because the easier you make it for people, the more people are going to use it. And, and during COVID, we've seen the cities put bike lanes everywhere. Uh, and everyone's biking everywhere. It's great. People think it's, it's reconnecting with your childhood. Who doesn't like riding a bike? Just make it easy for people and more people will do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I, you know, don't ride a bike is just I don't trust. I just don't trust the friggin' drivers, right? You know, I see people on cell phones and uh, you know, not paying attention to what they're doing, and uh, and and I don't think it, a week goes by where you don't uh, you know look at at Twitter and they mention someone getting hit by uh, by a car riding their bike, right? So I'm I'm so happy to see these bike lanes and especially the uh, protected bike lanes where you know like on the Danforth and Bloor that. That makes me feel a lot better about you know getting on my bike and 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 going out and, and traveling. So uh, yeah, it's, all, it's all about it's all about protecting the cyclists, uh, separating them from the car user. Because I mean, there's only one winner if you've got a ton of steel uh, and somebody on a bike. Yeah, yeah. We 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 had a uh, one of our past guests, uh, Bill, uh, told us about how he got all, he got trapped under a truck while riding mm-hmm. his bike. And the only reason the truck didn't run, uh, run him over is it got stuck on his bike. <laughs> wow. So those are the stories that always get us a little, uh, uh, a little scared to, uh, to to get in the bike. So, so Steve, you, was there uh, before we get to the rapid fire? Did you you had another you had another question? Uh, no, I, I, closing it, we've talked a lot about um, Neil your your career path, and it's it's very interesting, and I do appreciate you sharing that with us and. Mm-hmm talked a lot about the projects you worked on, but um, I alluded to uh, earlier in the conversation, the Wonder Condos and how many opponents were there for the planning and, and, and I guess just the, the, the constant butting of heads of city planners, um, I guess the city in general and, and then developers and, and then the, you know, the community members. And, and it's it's a big and it's a hard question, but I guess, you know, you're such an experienced guy with, with great wealth and knowledge. Um, you know, how what, what's your answer? How would you fix this this issue? In my opinion, when I look at a lot of the developments we talked about on the show, you talk about Bayview, like, why are they only eight stories? You look at the West Donlands, where Dream's building down in an area that's literally has no neighbors, no neighborhood. It's like on rail. It's close to the, the downtown, like, if there was ever a place in the world for max density, in my opinion, it's there and they're, they're stuck at eight to 12 stories. And it just yeah, you uh, boggles my mind. And then, you know, all along Danforth, we talk about this, the ratepayers control Danforth. You can't get, you can't even put a four story tower on a subway stop on the Danforth. 
let alone, you know, eight or 12 or 16 plus. So anyway, just, just like sort of holistically, you know, you've been in Toronto for a long time. We're growing and developing fast, but there's still problems. There's still a, still an expensive city and there's still a lack of supply, which I think blows people's minds, but there is. So you've mentioned the West Onlands before. I think you're, I think your podcast with Jeff Hull, you mentioned the West Onlands. Is it Jeff or um, escaping me? John English from Tricon. One of the two of them. Maybe probably both. I think we brought it up on both. Yeah, we, 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 we love to trash the city on that on that site. So. so on that one, that was a prov- that was the province's fault. So the province came up with this. So the West Onlands, it's actually a fl- it's a it's a, a flood berm. It it protects uh, the downtown from the Don Valley r- uh, River flooding the downtown, and so they built a berm. Uh, the province owned it. The province master planned it. The province, it's interesting. The province master planned it like it was Scandinavia, except they got the heights of the buildings right, but then they put way too much space in for all the cars. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like Scandinavia with like 10 times many, as many cars as there should be. Like the boulevards are massive and they've got massive streets there. Um, you can get a lot more density in there. Make the streets smaller. Uh, make it more difficult for people to drive downtown and they might get out of their car. Uh, and they might actually enjoy it, apart from getting crushed by trucks. But um, um, so yeah, that one was a that was an old provincial approval that Dream and um, the Dream bought that one. So yeah, I, you know, in terms of the um, what do we do? How do we get more density on subways? Um, it's interesting when the mid-rise buildings guidelines were first published, they had this transition zone uh, piece in them, so you could buy the two houses behind uh, the block uh, and use it as a transition. Um, and um, get more development on your site. So you're buying two two houses in a neighborhood, or four, I guess, if you're buying on either side, um, and use it to leverage it and get more density on your site. The councillors uh, of the day uh, took that provision out of the mid-rise guidelines um, because the problem is they're protecting the existing ratepayers because, you know what, the existing ratepayers are the ones that are going to vote them back in. It's not the future ratepayers that are paying significant amounts of money uh, in DCs and Section 37 and Parklands, that they are, so they're taxing the future population. They should be taxing the current population and relying less on developments. But how do you do it? I mean, you have to, um, so I grew up in the 80s in the UK um, when Margaret Thatcher was uh, prime minister and she had this concept of the development corporation. So she went in, um, and she took control away from the local authorities. So she, in, in deprived areas, so London Docklands Development Corporation was the prime one uh, where Canary Wharf is. So it was kind of wasteland, dockland. And she took the control away from the local authorities. I think there were four local authorities that had control in the area. She took it away. She put a development corporation in. She said, I'm going to make the rules here. The development corporation is. The development corporation put in uh, the roads. They put in the Docklands Light Railway. They put in the Jubilee Line Extension. And then they invited investment to come in. <clears throat> I mean, that's very draconian, and that's that, that was Margaret Thatcher's style, but that's what I grew up with. But it's going to take some intervention on that level um, to, to make a change whereby if you live in a single-family house that's within like even like 50 meters, 100 meters of a subway station, you can't expect in a growing city to, to have the status quo. You have to evolve. Cities have to evolve. If they don't evolve, they decline. So... We're getting hundreds of thousands of people coming in through immigration every year. Where are they going to live? We can't keep on pushing them out to the suburbs because we all know that that doesn't work, that the, the highways are clogged. You can't build more roads because if you do, they just fill up with cars. So you have to kind of intensify 
where the services are, where the subways are, where the community centers are, where the libraries are. So you have to break down some of those barriers that prevent appropriate intensification along the avenues. I mean, the avenues and mid-rise guidelines was a great tool. I think it needs a refresh. I think they need to explore um, how you get more density in these areas uh, because it's, it's the best place to put the density because you don't need to build more subways. You don't need to build more sewers. You don't need to build more libraries. Um, if you're building greenfield, you need to build all that stuff and it's expensive and it's expensive to maintain. So, so let's look at intensifying the downtown further. Not always with high-rise condos, Look at intensifying the neighborhoods. Intensified down forth. Yeah, you're right. It should be intensified. Uh, I'm blue west. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm seeing more young people, uh, you know, on social media, starting to get behind the, you know, the Yimby movement, and and yep. saying that there just is no other solution than building more houses. If you want a house, you need more housing, right? And yes, yep. new housing is expensive, but people that have more money than you are going to live somewhere. So you want them to be living in that new building as opposed to living in the building you want to live in, the one that you can afford. And unfortunately, most people can't make that two-step process, right? And uh, and also unfortunate that we have just a, such a politicized environment uh, where you know the conservatives right now we're trying to push for 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 more housing supply and trying to to help people and all it's seen as oh well you're developer donated $10,000 to you. So now you're doing all this stuff. I'm like, 10,000, you can't even get a used Corolla for $10,000. Yeah, you're gonna get the, the guy to change the planning rules in all of Ontario for you? This is the, uh, you know, I, I I look at some of these journalists and I'm like, seriously, $10,000? I'm like, Oh, that's yeah. Anyways, it's a it's 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 a pretty uh, it's a pretty screwed up system, I think, right? In terms of what where things get built and where things don't get built. That I mean, when I when I first started to just pay attention to this stuff, I'm like, how is there, you know, 60, 70 story buildings at Young and Bloor, yet you go two subway stops up and you can't even get four stories approved. <laughs> In, in yeah, yeah our, our acquisition guys, they come to us with sites. So we, we look at the development approval side of it and they come to us on some sites and say, well, on one side of the street, you've got 20-story towers. Why can't we get 20-story towers on the other side? And then I put my planning hat on and say, well, there's a different planning framework, there's a different planning context. This is what you're looking at, apartment neighborhoods or mixed-use designation. And this is And this is neighborhoods. And neighborhoods is, you, you can't touch neighborhoods. You can't how dare you put a piece of shadow on a neighborhood from a tall building? Um, so something's got to change because if you don't provide enough housing, um, it's a classic supply and demand in it. And, and housing is rapidly becoming a commodity. Um, and I look at what's happening in the UK and London. You've got these uh, very affluent areas where people are just overseas investors are just placing capital. Uh, and that's that's a scary thing. We need We need to stop that happening to Toronto. Uh, and we need to build more housing. Supply, it's classic supply and demand. Put more supply yep. in there yep. so that it doesn't uh, become unaffordable. One of the questions I wanted to ask is, how do we explain some basic supply and demand to the people in charge in this city? But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just, it's, a, it's just a theme that keeps reoccurring every time we have a sophisticated developer on the, set, on the show. And we keep talking about it. Anyway, maybe we need to do a webinar, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have visited several uh, American cities and I, and I see their, their condo markets and it's all, 
you know, huge 1,500, 2,000 square foot units aimed at the most affluent residents. And they, you know, they don't start sales until the building is halfway built and they're, you know, they're, the price per square foot is, 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 you know, through the roof. And, and so when I hear people complain about our investors building small units, I'm like, you know, you don't know what the alternative is. The, the alternative is not end users lining up and buying 1,000 square foot condos for 300 bucks a square foot. It's the Boston model. It's the New York model. It's the Miami model, right? That yeah, is sure. an alternative. Or, you know, we just, it's just all luxury housing. Like you mentioned in areas of London where it's just, you know, it's, it's secondary homes for the global elite. It's, it's sitting vacant, right? You know, uh, so you have to, you have to be careful what you, uh, what you wish for. So one of the questions I actually had in the rapid fire, but I might, I might ask, I might ask it uh, before we get to the rapid fire is, as you know, I do a lot of work with Baker and we're, we're you know, we, we, we work on unit mixes and, and obviously I'm reacting to demand in the marketplace. I look at the, you know, the 900 worksheets that come in and 640 of them are for units from 465 square feet to 495 square feet, right? And so what can you do if that's what the demand is? If, if an end user doesn't want to buy a unit four years in advance, uh, you were going to get... 450 to 550 square foot units all day long. I know that you have uh, two kids. You live in the, in the city. Is there anything that developers can do to get some larger family size units so we don't have this, you know, this uh, um, you know disconnected market where downtown is just super small units for for you know students and people just starting their careers, and then everyone has to move outside the downtown to find anything that's of, of uh, a size that you could actually have a, a child in? Yeah, we, the city of Toronto do have that three bedroom unit policy. So 10% of all three of, of all units um, of all buildings, sorry, have to be um, three bedroom. What we found when we initially um, had to respond to that policy was those units would be on the penthouse floors. They would become luxury units. The city have responded. The city have come up with the um, the growing up uh, guidelines where they're, they're trying to get this continuity, where they're trying to have, um, so the, I mean, I guess the life cycle is in your 20s, you get your first job downtown, you buy a condo, uh, you you meet your partner, your partner has a condo, uh, you live downtown until you have kids and then you move, to, um, uh, you move to the east end or the west end. The problem is that those east end and west end houses now are unaffordable, even with two incomes. And so um, that, that kind of the dream of the first grade related home is kind of dying as Toronto becomes this global city. And so uh, we have to offer that demographic, um, the young uh, couple with kids, um, uh, an option to stay downtown because we don't want to create monocultures of just um, professional um professional people working on Bay Street that live in the downtown condos. You, you want to create families. That's what creates great, great cities. It's that mix. Um, and so the city of Toronto are working. They've got the growing up guidelines. They're trying to encourage larger units for families. They're trying to encourage family um, oriented amenity spaces. Um, but you're right. The demand, the market demand is um, it's price point sensitive. Um, and yeah, it's always going to be oriented towards those smaller units. Um, in the downtown that people are going to look to either live in as their first place or they're going to look to rent out uh, as an investment. It's, it's, I, I, there is no magic wand. Um, 
we all try our best. Uh, we do we do accommodate families, and we're, we're trying. We're, I think there is a there's a movement back um, to the downtown for families. Uh, but again, it's just it's let's get more supply. Uh, I think supply is the actual is the is the key to it all, and and let's stop let's stop throttling supply as well. Let's try and improve um, the processes to get um, construction through the process, uh, development through the process. It takes five to seven years on average to take a project through. Uh, we need to do better. We need to reduce that timeline. We need to reduce the bureaucracy that's in place. How do we do that? Again, there's no magic wand. We're working on it, but. Um, I certainly know, and Steve, come back to one of your comments about what has the change been since 2001 mm-hmm. to today. It's it's the policy. Like there's there's probably four times as much policy in place that you have to comply with. You have to write reports that you never used to write, um, and they're all trying to improve um, the livability of development downtown, but they're doing it at a cost of time. Um, and as an unintended consequence of all the policy, they're driving the price of housing up downtown, which is having other negative impacts. It's a good, it's a good place to end, and I and I do agree with you. And even if you look in our world, that we uh, we operate in the lending space and the regulators and even the paperwork today, versus even when I started, uh, oh, ten years ago, it's just at least four times more paperwork just to get a file done. You know, with with all the uh, regulation and red tape. So anyways, it is a good place to end and, and thank you so much, but we do have to take a, a moment to do our rapid fire questions. You can give a one, uh, one answer response. You can, you can pass, you can take, you know, maybe, maybe 10 words, but we're trying, trying to get them, get them out nice and nice and quick. So. And listen, if our, our guests could only follow the rules and actually answer in one to five words, we could get in more questions. <laughs> I'll try it. Okay. Okay. Steve, you, you going first? All right. So what do you think about scooters? You did mention the, uh, the line scooters and whatnot in other cities. Should the city of Toronto have allowed them? Absolutely. Yes. Perfect. Should we get rid of blind bidding on resale properties in Ontario? Yes. Do you trust CMHC's housing forecasts? <laughs> I don't think they trust it, do they? <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> okay. Okay. What year will uh, downtown Toronto rents get back to the uh, fall 2019 peak levels? Oh, end of this year, early next year. Oh, we're, we're going to fire back up. Big believer. Big There's believer like in downtown. I like it. I like it. On a scale of one to 10, how worried are you about inflation? Well, it depends if they include house prices or not. Um, but no, I'm not. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll say that's a two. <laughs> um, I guess I kind of asked that one already. Uh, okay, so you're, you're, you're gonna, uh, the, your, your boss has asked you to, to, to look at other markets for, for new condos. Are you going to look at Hamilton, Barry, or Kitchener Waterloo? Oh, can I say none of the above? Just personal <laughs> preference. I'm I'm a downtown Toronto kind of guy. I don't I don't really go. If my electric bike doesn't reach there, I'm not going. That's what I was thinking. You'd have to recharge five times to get up to Barry. So, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, if you 
became mayor tomorrow, what would be the first three things you would do? Um, I would direct planning staff to rewrite the neighborhood policies and the official plan to allow more incremental development. I don't want to do boring policy stuff. I want to do fun stuff. Because <laughs> he oh, doesn't yeah. he get to proclaim special days? I'd, I'd proclaim a, I don't know, I'd, I'd proclaim a, an electric bike day in the city of Toronto. <laughs> I like yes. that. I like it. I like it. Uh, oh my goodness. Okay. Well, we'll we'll ask uh, we'll ask one more. Um, should the Toronto Blue Jays be allowed to play at the Dome this year? Uh, I'd see it's interesting because if you asked me that question a few months ago, I would say, yeah, we don't want to go to America. We don't want them coming over here. But now I think we're kind of lagging behind America in our vaccines. So, uh, yes, but at the end of the season. That's good. Yeah. That, that's good. That's good. Steve, you had anything, anything else or were you going to do? No, this, uh, is, this has been a, a, a fun filled, uh, over, uh, over an hour. So, uh, Neil, thanks so much for doing this. It was great chatting with you. And like I said earlier, wealth of knowledge and uh, great experience. So thanks for sharing it with us and, and the listeners. And, um, you know, hopefully next time we see each other, it's over a pint in person. Yeah. I would, so, uh, I would enjoy a pint. Yeah. And if, uh, if someone wants to find you, what are you a social media guy? What's the, what, what's, what's Greywood's website? You know, what, what, what should people be uh, looking out for from, from your company? Uh, what we, what should we look out for our company? Well, I mean, you found you found our company's website. You read my bio very well from the company's website. So you can find you can find us there. We're um, if you want to talk to us about investments, uh, whether it's future uh, uh, for sale condominiums or you're looking to uh, invest, our website's the best place to find us. Uh, we're currently marketing our fund nine uh, at the moment. We've currently raised over a hundred million dollars in that. The last closing September, so um, yeah, we're we're still looking for. Uh, more investors there. So yeah, our website is the uh, place to find us. Greywoodgroup.com. Greywoodgroup.com. So th thanks again. We, we very much appreciate it. Um, thank you both. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Steve. It's been fun. And uh, Thank you so much.